I'm Katie Bennett-Stenton, a senior B2B marketer with 20 years experience across the UK, United States and Asia Pacific. Last year I was fortunate to spend three months with Deloitte in Chicago. During that time I was delighted to have the opportunity to spend time with a number of global thought experts. Throughout that period, I interviewed a range of leaders and shared their thought-provoking, relevant and influential takeaways weekly. Now that I'm back in Melbourne, the Katie Talks conversation with influencers continues. And today's with Natasha Norton is going to be fabulous. Natasha is a CEO, non-executive director, diversity champion, sports tragic, Australian LGBTI award finalist, Telstra businesswomen's finalist, and the reason I can tell you with such confidence and certainty that today's going to be great is that we in fact recorded this conversation for the first time about three weeks ago. Technology failed me. It did not, my, the, our recording did not upload to the cloud. So very generously, Natasha has agreed to revisit the excellent things that we talked about. Natasha, welcome. Thank you very much, Katie. Welcome Thanks back. for having me again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, it's a pleasure, just like it was last time. Deja vu. Deja vu. Natasha, just before we launch into the questions, it'd be great if you could give listeners a little bit of a um, little bit about your background, please. Natasha 101. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in northeast Victoria on a farm between a town called Wangaratta and another uh, very well-known wine area called Millowa. Um, so a bit of a cornflake kid, I suppose, running around with straw in my hair and farm <laughs> animals and all of that sort of thing. Very sporty, uh, always was, always have been and went to university in Canberra at ANU. And it's probably safe to say that my university selection was based upon how far away I could get from where I'd grown up. <laughs> I'm a Northeast Victorian girl too, I get it. <laughs> so it's, it, you know, it's a fun place, but there's not that much going on there, not way back then in particular. Um, from there, I spent some time living in the United Kingdom and New York and have traveled extensively. I landed back in Australia in about 1998, I think it was. And since then, I've spent the bulk of my career sort of heading off to the various professional services firms. Uh, I've worked at three of the big four uh, and worked alongside the, the fourth uh, quite a bit and have spent then the rest of my life in the, some of the mid-tiers as well, where I now find myself as the CEO of Accutech, which fits into that boutique mid-tier sphere of professional services. Lovely, thanks Natasha. A cursory peek at your online presence shows that you're really passionate about women in emerging technology. Talk us through that. Um, I think, uh, you know, we talk about STEM and STEAM and things like that, and there are a, a variety of organisations out there supporting women in technology. And I think it was some years ago, there was a study done that there was an increase in women going through technology courses at universities, mm -hmm. but that has gone backwards more recently. And I just think that there, you know, when you sit in a room of technologists, as I have the privilege of often doing, um, there has been a real dearth of women around the table. Mm -hmm. Now we're seeing that change over time and there are some brilliant uh, female CIOs and female leaders in technology now. Yeah. But I think when you've got over half the population potentially not contributing as heavily to what's mm -hmm. happening in technology, yeah. then we're missing, we're simply missing opportunity. Uh, we're you know, creating a much more narrow view of the world. And that's true of any sector or industry, yes. not just technology of course, but I simply spend most of my time in the tech space. So I think when you can have the breadth of view, be it women, uh, 
uh, or gender identity or theology or cultural background, it all contributes to a wealth of ideas. So when we talk about diversity and inclusion and increasing women in tech and technology, I think we have to look further than just women. I think we have to look at women from different diverse cultural backgrounds mm -hmm. as well. Sure. And I think that will bring the more that occurs, it will just bring this wealth of ideas and wealth of approaches to how technology is used and why we mm. use it and what the benefits are. Absolutely, and I mean, you know, to, to, to that, those last points that you made, I think some people still tend to think about diversity as only including gender diversity, not a whole, not a myriad of other no. backgrounds, and that, that can only bring a more rich, uh, view of, of whatever it is that you're doing. Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, gender's one part of you, mm. not every part no. of you. No. Um, and I would say that about being in the LGBTI community too. It's one part of you. It doesn't mm. dominate no. every part of your life. So the, the more diverse and whatever's and whomever is around the table, the better for everyone. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Natasha, you're fascinated by technology and how it's changing the way that we work. Walk me through that. I think um, what we're seeing particularly I think recently is, this is gonna sound very, um, I don't know, sugar-coated I suppose, uh, technology for good and usability and so forth. Mm -hmm. I think it's, there's a wealth of companies out there at the moment that are creating technologies that are just far more user-friendly than what they used to be. So it's much more yeah. accessible, which means we can use it for different reasons, I being to collaborate or communicate or to build things. Mm -hmm. And I think by, by it being more accessible and easier to use, we're then having new people into the market in terms of using technologies, therefore creating a breadth of experience and a breadth of exposure and a breadth of new things coming into the world. Uh, so I think, you know, what I'm really interested in to see is what we continue to use it for. I think there's a bit of backlash against technology as well in terms of some of the platforms that are out there at the moment in terms of obviously privacy, but mm -hmm. also in terms of to be honest, some of the rubbish that gets fed to us through that technology. Sure. You know, you only have to look as far as a Facebook and so forth yeah. in terms of the fake news mm -hmm. um, and what gets perpetuated in those forums and so forth. So I think we are looking much more closely at how technology influences society. And I think that is, it's, it's not even a debate. I think we can't stop it from happening. Yes. It's going to be a really interesting space just to simply be a part of in terms of how society influences our day-to-day -day lives. And for me, that's a pretty exciting thing. I'd, hopefully, I'd consider myself a reasonably early adopter sure. of most technologies. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's going to be hard to avoid not being yes. that in the future. Yeah, absolutely. When we spoke last time, you talked about um, an operation called Soul Machines and mm. somebody who had worked on a James Cameron movie moving their experience from from movie into corporate I'd love it yeah. if that was that was fascinating so my, my understanding is soul machines uh, I think they're they're creating these um, avatars these cognitive avatars so what I've seen of their they're one of those organizations that I found really interesting just to read about because my understanding is one of the founders was uh, one of the people who worked on the film avatar mm -hmm. uh, by James Cameron and using some of the technologies that were employed in that space to create now for large corporates uh, human avatars that will be used to assist people like you and I. 
um, or internally as well. Mm -hmm. So when I call someone on my device, uh, if I'm FaceTiming or yes. whatever, I'm not just talking to a bot mm -hmm. or so forth or a cognizant one at that. I can actually see a physical face that moves like a real human, looks like a real human, mm -hmm. you know, and that creates empathy which I think is a pretty amazing thing to tap yes. into in terms of technology. Yeah. Even though I may well be aware that that's not a real human being, they're often modelled on real humans. Mm. So it might be that the, the company you're working for might say, Katie, we like your face. You know, it's friendly and warm. We want to use your face as yep. a model for, yep. you know, this. So it's a... It's a really nuanced way of using technology to, mm. I think, engage with the customer or the client and to s develop that sort of deeper relationship in terms of, well, they think it feels like you're engaging with a real person. Yes. You know, and technology is pretty smart these days. You know, you can have conversations with all sorts of devices knowing that it's not a human behind them. I mean, I'm doing it all the time with my Google Mini. So yeah, for sure. Google's not really helping me out on all the things I'm asking her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's such a fascinating thing, isn't it? Yeah. That even though we know the person in inverted commas that we are conversing with is is a machine, not a person, by making it more lifelike, it that it it, ch it can change and enhance our experience. It's, it's kind of fascinating. Well, empathy is a massive thing, you know. Yeah. If you feel like you relate or that they're relating to you in yes. some way, and we we know that this has got very little to do with technology in a way. It's all about being able to mirror someone's response mm. or be able to see a facial expression and, and those types of things. Yeah. Um, also to have a tonal language yeah. that um, resonates in a way with our you know, auditory responses and those sorts of things. Mm. So I think um, when technology is able to do that, and we're seeing it in some, I guess, I would say reasonably immature robotics as yes. well, but there will come a time when it's really mature technology, mm. you know, and I think we're foolish to think that it won't exist in yeah. a much more mature fashion to mm. what it does now. But I think organisations like Soul Machines, and I feel like I'm giving them endless plugs <laughs> at the moment, but uh, to be clear, I've never actually met with them before. So okay. I've only read about them. Yeah. And I just find organisations who are doing that type of work fascinating. You know. Absolutely. It reminds me of a great article I read in The Atlantic recently where the the journalist uh, spoke quite openly about the fact that she suffers from depression mm. and that she had developed this really close relationship with um, with her Google Mini and to the extent where she would she had a warm male voice is what she had mm. chosen and talked about the fact that she admitted feelings of helplessness and and real real anxiety and feeling incredibly mm. low to to her Google device in a way that she wouldn't even speak to her partner and yeah. it was well it was it was a very emotional read but mm. but you know she was really trying to get into some of what we're talking about and it was interesting, isn't it? really quite fascinating because it's it's amazing and a little bit frightening at the yes, same time yes. right because you're engaging with something you know is into real mm. but may be able to respond in a real way yes but why wouldn't we want to do that with a real person as well? Wow. But I, but at the same time, I understand where she's coming from because sometimes people just want to talk yes. and, tell, and explain where they mm. are in life and their problems. Mm. They don't necessarily want to be talked at back either no. and have solutions given to no. them. Sometimes they just need something or somebody to be empathetic. Mm. But, but a machine, I mean, that just gets into a whole other it does, realm. It? It's, it's pretty fascinating. It's exciting. It is exciting. Although s some of the questions I hear my seven-year-old son asking, um, 
I think um, my partner's oh. sick of me asking about the weather. Oh no, no, I'm thinking, I'm thinking more fart related. It's oh, delightful, well, and some of the responses. Yes, I'm trying to get to jokes. Oh yeah, well um, I can um, I can team you up with the little charmer who'll give you a whole oh, lot on fantastic. that front. Yeah, but I mean, I just I just think about the fun that Google and others must have mm. had coming up with the responses around oh, that. You know, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I mean, I have colleagues who've got one in every room and use them to you know, set up routines for the young children mm. so that when it comes to going to bed, yes. the routine starts for that yeah. child and they know that child hears Google speaking mm. to it and knows or doing whatever Google's doing. And I'm sure the, all the other devices of that ilk do the same thing. Yeah. But so they're, you know, three and four year olds hear the voice and it's like a little nanny almost, right? Oh, indeed. I mean, talk about, talk about the generation growing up digital native. Yeah, well, I feel like this takes it a whole absolutely 35,000 steps mm. further on that front. <laughs> Changing tact a little bit. Everybody approaches leadership a little bit differently. I'd really love to hear your philosophy. Um, I'm a great believer in that you have to be able to adjust your leadership according to the situation you're in. Mm -hmm. So you have to be adaptable uh, and you also have to be really happy not um, always being the boss because I think there's a big difference to being a leader and a boss. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important that if you want to be a good leader, you've got to let go of that command and control that is, yeah. has been historically yeah, it's gone, a thing. Isn't it, in many right? places. And I think it's gone in most organisations, so mm. I'm pretty sure it still exists in some. Uh, because what your team often needs from you is not you know you necessarily leading from the front all the time so I, I, whilst I really love leading from the front and looking after my team that way and I, I use the analogy of having broad shoulders you know mm -hmm. and just protecting them sure. like a shield uh, and dealing with the stuff I have to deal with that they shouldn't have to deal mm -hmm. with so that they can just get on with what yep. they've got to get done yeah. but the other thing that I always try to do is that there's a real importance around contextual leadership so irrelevant of whether you have a title that yes. says you're in a position of seniority, people can show leadership every day and you have to give people room and the opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. And so if someone you know, wants to lead from the front on something, yes. give them the space to do that. The other thing that I think is really important from great leaders is that they know when to stand behind their team and okay. to gently urge them forward mm -hmm. because they need to know that they're supported in what they're doing. So that you're there to sort of wrap your arms around them if and when they need it. Sure. But that, you know, you're just guiding them forward almost as opposed to sort of shoving them forward. Mm -hmm. You just say, look, I'm just going to hang it back here and look yeah. after the perimeter. Yeah. Um, you guys keep going, okay. those types of things. So I think that's really important. And I think, um, you know, I personally really enjoy Enjoy. We, we've created this specifically at Accutech as a reasonably flat structure so that we can remove as much hierarchy as possible. Mm -hmm. um, I still meet actively meet with many of the juniors in our team so if we if our team wants to have a meeting with me we have a meeting we even have a thing called CEO open door here which we run I think it's once a quarter around there where I block out a Friday of that quarter and anyone in the company can have a meeting with me anytime to talk about anything they want to okay it's not about me it's mm -hmm. about them so if yeah. there's information they want to share and you know without breaking confidences that covers a massive gamut of things you know things from you know someone showing me around the city to where they're 
partner and then had another business and they <laughs> took me there to show me that okay. business and I didn't know about that. That was yeah. amazing. It had okay. nothing to do with what we do. Uh -huh. um, they were a gold merchant actually. Really? Which was really interesting. <laughs> like it's not a space I have any idea about. No, me either. Um, to, you know, um, young people coming to my office to talk to me about stuff at home mm -hmm. so okay. that they feel that they can do that. So we do that regularly and I think just in, you, you need to make yourself available to your yes. team and that means trying to remove hierarchy so people don't see that there are barriers there mm -hmm. to them engaging with you because I think it's the more hierarchy and barriers you put up it's just so much harder for people to relate to you and, yeah. and not see you as a boss when they actually should be seeing you as here's someone I can learn from who mm -hmm. can mentor me and engage with me and that's a leader. Well, and, and that that you are approachable and that they that it is appreciated that you are, with full respect, just another person who Correct. has their own stuff going on. Correct. And you're just another person who might have a little bit more experience mm -hmm. and have had slightly different opportunities, sure. you know, and you've put your hand up for different things. Yeah. So, and that doesn't mean to say that they won't have all of those things come to them at some point in time either. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Natasha, one, one topic that really interests me when I'm talking to senior leaders is how they approach their careers in terms of long in terms of long term <laughs> planning. I know that you're not necessarily a five year planner. What's your approach? Yeah, so I'm not someone who sits there and writes down a you know, get into schedules and, and whatnot in terms of where I want to be. But there's certainly the view of, okay, I'll know when my time is done doing what I'm doing, mm -hmm. therefore you need to start planning for the next thing. Okay. And I've always been conscious of that, that there comes a time where you've outlived your welcome sort of thing. <laughs> sure. Or you're, you're also hungry for the next thing. Yes. You know, uh, because I think one of the worst things to happen to any leader or any human being really is complacency and boredom. Yeah. So you need to move to do the next thing, whatever that is, be that work-related or not. Sure well before that sets in. Definitely. Um, so for me, it's really about understanding myself in terms of what makes me hungry, what sort of challenges are interesting to me, mm -hmm. um, and to you know understand my environment that I'm currently in, and is that presenting any of those you know meaty challenges that I might yeah. want to be invested in? And if it's not, how do I get into an environment which is? So there does come a time certainly where I go, okay, it's time now for me to look at what's next. Yes. And I certainly have a view of understanding about myself that I'd like to do, you know, maybe uh, two more CEO type roles okay. uh, in an organisation. I'm not particularly um, worried about what the titles of those roles are, but two roles of influence in that similar sense. And okay. I also understand about myself that I'm very interested in the, the NED space. Yes. So continuing my um, growth in that area is really important to me as well, mm -hmm. because I think that it, that's a whole different level of strategic work and so forth with an organisation when you're sitting at the board yeah. level. and really um, directing where it's going. Sure. Diversity and inclusion are clearly really important to you. I'm curious to know more about that. <laughs> well, other than uh, being a part of the LGBTI community, and I am the L, <laughs> so just so that we're clear. Um, uh, uh, I'm also a woman, obviously. Well, hopefully, obviously. Uh, and 
I I was actually always really fortunate. I grew up in a family of all women. Mm-hmm. Uh, even my our pet dog was a girl, so <laughs> my dad liked being surrounded in women. But we were always taught to be fearless, fiercely independent. Yes. And were never stopped from pursuing any sort of opportunity that came our way. Mm. Now, some might argue that if I'd had a brother, that might have been different, but we'll never well, know. How could we say? Correct. Um, and I like to think that that wouldn't have mattered yes. in our family. Yeah. Um, but what I've often seen in my career is a lack of women in the room uh, and a lack of diversity in so many other areas. Mm-hmm. I'm also lucky enough uh, to come from a reasonably multicultural family. Okay. Um, and so have had the pleasure of knowing a little bit more about different cultures as I was growing up and seeing what they might experience as well, which is very different to what I might experience yes. out there in the world. And so had a deep appreciation for how difficult things can be for people from different backgrounds. Okay. Um, and that's always been, a, uh, I guess, a pain point of mine when I see bigotry of any kind yeah. is I'm a bit of a champion in that mm-hmm. space. So... You know, people are often afraid of what's different to them. So, and I think it's it's incumbent upon people like myself to educate others, yes, or to create environments where it's not. Uh, I'm not educating people by sticking my hand down their throat and telling mm. them they have to think this way. Just exposing them to different things. So, diversity and inclusion in that sense, um, to me, is extraordinarily important because it just brings a different thoughts processes into a room it just creates just a richer tapestry Mm. around us you know it'd be a very boring world if we all looked the same ate the same all of those things Mm -hmm. it'd be pretty dull I think Um, so I think uh, in terms of inclusion and diversity I think organizations in particular today if they're not on board with that then you know they're really going to suffer in the future and you know statistically we already know that information that we when do. they talk about when boards aren't mm. you know 50 50 and when organizations don't have that similar sort of quota yes. now we've looked at it like you said earlier really from a gender perspective for a really long time we have but now we're starting to look at it from a whole range of perspectives mm. yeah. which is fasc- fascinating it's and is fantastic and you know, I'm pretty lucky, I think, that I've been in the corporate sector and I've had the real pleasure of being involved with just a real breadth of people. Mm-hmm. And I love that, you know, and I always, and I'm, and I'm nosy, right? So I'll <laughs> ask dumb questions about people and where they've come from, why did they want to come to Australia? I always ask those questions. Oh, I'm with you. Because I'm always curious. Yeah. Because yeah. my, my background's pretty boring, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like, well, Northeast Victoria girls. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And in, in the grand scheme of global uh, communities where it's not that exciting so I'm always fascinated as to what drives someone to really you know come into a really foreign place and set up life and, mm. and go for it I'm just and I'm just a- admire them for doing it because it must be bloody frightening oh totally you know? and, and just that that gutsy determination oh. to pitch yourself to the other side of the world where perhaps you don't speak oh, the language or absolutely. you're certainly not familiar I meet so many people I, I still take a very active role in interviewing people at Accutech because mm-hmm. it's a real cultural thing for us is that they sure. understand who I am and what I expect in terms yes. of the organization and and so that they know that they can meet with me mm-hmm. you know well that might sound intimidating to them when they realize they're going to meet the CEO in one of their interviews mm. but by the time I'm interviewing and they've been through the process and I'm the last person yes. and they've pretty much been given the thumbs up yeah. but I love meeting people and asking them so tell me your story mm. how did you come to be here and that sort of thing and I've met so many individuals who've said they've come out here on their own but their family's still where they come they've 
come from okay. and they'll be transplanting at some point in time. But some of them have been separated for 12 months. That <laughs> blows my mind. It's amazing, know, isn't it? That's a massive commitment to make, you mm. know, that, you know, um, a partner and children might be at home in another country and one of them's out here just getting things set up yeah. for them and so yeah. forth. And that, I think that's really difficult. Oh, I do too. I mean, I, I did that. Well, no, it's not. It's not all that comparable. But I did that for three months last year mm. with my with my kids in Chicago. Mind you, I had lots of extended family mm. around me, so as I said, not a direct correlation. But but just that that gutsiness and the the feeling that there is something a whole lot better or richer or yeah. more worthwhile or more attractive Absolutely. in Australia to go through that hardship. And is... it says so much about ambition yes. and, and so forth. And just resilience. The, the, yeah, resilience. And I just I just can only applaud those people that make those massive moves for themselves. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. I agree with you. How would you say your life and career are improving as a result of being better connected with people across the globe? You obviously talked about living in the UK and New York, but yeah. I'd love to understand some more about that. I just, um, some of it comes down to diversity of opinion and so forth, but it's like seeing how the other half live too and mm -hmm. having a real appreciation for cultural difference is yes. really important. Um, things you take for granted, I mm -hmm. think, is another big thing. You often, um, whatever we say about Australia in terms of, you know, some of its practices and whatever, we are still a very lucky country to be in. We really are. In terms of most of our freedoms and so forth. You know, there are certainly things that we don't all agree with and so forth, but... Um, and I could go on about that phrase, but we won't. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but I think it's really just, you know, when you go to another country and you immerse yourself for whatever period of time and mm. how they go about their lives. Like even I was just recently in Hong Kong and it was the first time I'd been back there in a long time. And I just, you know, was plodding around the streets sure. every other day. And just, you know, it was amazing just being back in a city that the last time I visited there would have been eight or nine years ago, seeing how it had changed. Mm -hmm. You know, there's those pockets of Hong Kong that are super contemporary, yes. but then there are those pockets that are still, you know, quite traditional as well. And it's just wonderful mm. to be in any country. And, I, and, and the week before that, I was in Shanghai, so I got to do that as well. Sure. Shanghai is a very modern city, yes. but there are still pockets of it that are these small areas where the locals live and so forth. And I was fortunate enough to be taken around some of those areas and so forth. And it was just amazing and just understanding how completely different their lives are mm. to the lives that we have and having that appreciation for the fact that they really love that life yes and I think if you threw an Australian into some of those areas they'd probably freak out because yeah. their families <laughs> living on top of families and but they love that you know yeah. family's really important and yes. it's about community and there's lots about that that yeah. I think is really wonderful absolutely but as I think most um, Australians that I know and when, I, when I'm saying Australians I mean pet people whose parents are maybe from the, you know, English background, mm. that sort of thing. We can't wait to get out and be away from family, right? It's yes. really different. It's really different. And my partner's Asian and family is so important to her, mm. you know, and it's a real thing. Yes. And I feel very overwhelmed by it at times <laughs> because, I mean, I'll get a message from her. She says, have you called your mother? I said, no, we speak like once a month. And she's like, <laughs> and she'll talk to her mother every day. Right? Wow. So it's just a really different really, way of operating. Really but I think yeah. that that's one of the things that I really love is that immersion in a different culture and just learning about a different part of the, the world. And, and I think if you, well, it's easy to say that this, but I think if you don't take the opportunity to do that when you can, yes. you'll end up with a much more narrow view of how, you know, what the global economy mm. is, what mm. the global sort of social world is. 
understanding, of course, in saying that, that not everyone is privileged enough to do that as well. So. Sure. No, I, I mean, I agree with you. I just said a minute ago, I spent three months in the States last year and I'm a dual Aussie US citizen. Mm. So I've spent quite a bit of time there, but hadn't for a while. And one of the things that I particularly noticed and when I got back to Melbourne that I was particularly fortunate for was the safety net that we have in Australia. Mm. You know, th there is lots about the States that I love if we ignore the current incumbent <laughs> in the White House. We could House. Have a whole podcast about oh, that. <laughs> but we could, but we could. Uh, one of the, I, I lose, I have often lost sight of, of the safety net that we have here. And that, you know, there's lots of discussion about whether it's sufficient and whether we Absolutely. owe it to people. But talking to a lot of people in the States who, you know, work two or three jobs, who work seven days a week, Absolutely. and indeed they are the ones who are employed, uh, looking at that versus people who are bankrupted if they get yeah. sick or can't afford to get sick yeah. and just you know the, the massive discrepancies that is one of the things that I am especially grateful grateful Absolutely. for Absolutely Australia. I, I love our healthcare system it was actually interesting recently I think um, well as we know your uh, well not your president uh, Donald Trump <laughs> yeah. the, the, you, the president. US president is in the United Kingdom at yes. the moment celebrating yes. more D-Day celebrations and a few other things um, and I believe he said something along the lines of that the UK should consider selling the NHS. And I guess the large assumption behind him saying that was that would enable American corporates to come in and bid for some of that work. And to the British MPs credit <laughs> on both sides of the fence, mm -hmm. all of them stood up and said, no one's getting their hand on our NHS. Oh. And I was like, well, at least they can agree on something. They might not agree on Brexit, but no one's touching the health system. Well, <laughs> that is that is comforting. They haven't quite got their act together around no, Brexit, but no. uh, yeah. That's just extraordinary, it isn't is. it? it so, yeah. Is. Anyway, anyway, we could go off on that tangent for hours. Mm. Natasha, what might people not know about you? Right. So whilst we have spoken about this again, I actually thought of two things. One is very, um, you know, pithy and not really that important. I love pithy. I'm named after a band. So my middle name is Prokel. So after a band called Prokel Harem. I have was, not heard of them. Well, not of our vintage, Okay, Katie. I think okay, you'll be pleased Natasha. to know. <laughs> you'll be pleased to know. Uh, my parents of their vintage. So I think, and I'm sure a listener can correct mm. this, uh, they had a very big hit called Lighter Shade of Pale. Oh, I um, know that song. And that was one of their songs. Oh. Uh, so I was named after that band and my, yeah. So, and arguably some people say my first name was either <laughs> Flatteringly from War and Peace and okay. maybe not so flatteringly, I think from Boris and Natasha, the cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you can take your pick I go with War, I go with war and Peace I like um, it <laughs> but my, we're all named after something in our family which is quite funny um, but the other thing is that and I know that we spoke about this previously and it is a big part of my job actually um, I am not a fan of networking because mm. I'm a bit of an introvert um, actually a lot of an introvert so I'm someone who has to work really hard at putting myself out there in social situations. Most people look at me and think, oh my God, you're such a natural and you're really good at it and so forth. But yeah. that, that's my job and yeah. I, I need to appear good at it. Mm. Um, but it is a part of my role that I've always acknowledged is not where I'm um, 
well, it's not that where I'm not at my strongest. It's actually the part that probably takes the most energy out of me. Okay. So I'm actually, once I'm up there and talking, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. But it's the idea of doing it, I think, sometimes yeah. is quite taxing. And I think uh, I'm one of those people who I don't feed off other people's energy. I feed off my own energy. Okay. So I know a lot of extro extroverts feed off other people's yes. energy and get going. Yes. Bang, 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 bang. Mine is very much the, I have to have that energy within myself. Okay. Go and do the things that I need to do. Um, and then I need to recharge my batteries and that might mean I'm going to lie on the couch mm -hmm. and I'm not going to talk to anybody yep. and please don't speak to me <laughs> uh, and so I'm really careful about doing those things I did get to a point in my career not that long ago actually probably not long after joining Acutech where I was trying to be all things to all people from a networking and yeah. uh, sort of almost a PR perspective mm -hmm. And I really did hit that point where I just nearly burned out. Like I was at okay. events two or three times a day sometimes. And it was just ridiculous. You know, so I had to set some rules for myself beyond that. And to what, what, tell, talk to me about One that. of my number one pet peeves is a breakfast function. I just don't do them. Really? Okay. I just don't do them. My EA knows not to book me onto them. <laughs> and, and tell me why. Do you well, need a quiet start I need to the a, day? I need, to I'm actually a morning person. Uh -huh. But that morning person actually is about doing my own thing. Getting up, you know, going to the gym. Okay. Uh, having my little routine, mm -hmm. you know, I walk to work every day. Yeah. That's good, you know, 15, 20 minutes of either walking with my partner to catch up because we don't see that much of each other during the week because sure. we're both in quite busy roles mm -hmm. and, or, and or just making sure I'm on top of my day. It's yeah. a big part of me yeah. feeling like I'm on top of my day. And who likes breakfast sausage at the end of the day? Oh, look. It's served at every breakfast <laughs> And if that isn't enough on its own to go, I don't need to go to that. Forget about it. And the same eggs and the same wilted spinach and all that sort of thing. I've actually gone to the point where occasionally they're unavoidable, um, where, where I've set up, this is going to sound terrible, I shouldn't say it, fake food preferences to try and get a better meal. <laughs> so you're vegan. Can't eat salmon. Can't, it, can't uh, eat salmon. Well, I say that because I don't, yeah. I don't, I've got this real issue with salmon that's mass. Always? Oh, yeah, yeah. okay. Sure. And uh, yeah, so and I'll try and pick some weird things, go, I can't eat this, can't eat that, um, <laughs> to see what happens. I'm not saying it all ends up well all the time, but occasionally <laughs> I get something a little bit creative or you just get the thing without the breakfast sausage. <laughs> And an extra hash brown. Or yeah, something. okay. So it doesn't always work. Yeah, but that, that's the thing. I'm a probably more of an introvert than what people think. So it's actually something I've often talked to people about because I think um, particularly people coming up through their career are mm. often uh, concerned about, you know, being authentic sure. and, and those types of things. And I'm like, you know what? I don't it's okay mm. it's okay you've just got to come up with tools and practices that get you through what you need to get through and so yeah. forth I mean one of the things I always do at a networking event in particular is I'll walk into a networking event I'll look for the person standing on their own and I'll go up and speak to them and I'll ask some questions about themselves because that's an easy topic isn't it it's great everyone's pretty it's a topic you should be an expert on yes. right yes. you know everything if I know yes. more about you than you do then we're yeah. all in trouble we are, <laughs> we are. Um, or I work for MI6 or something <laughs> um, so it's you know and people are very comfortable talking about themselves mm -hmm. and it's you you're not going to ask overly complex questions for the first time no. you meet someone no you're not um, and it, you know what I know what it feels like to be that person yeah. too and particularly when I was probably younger coming up through the thing, I'll go off to your first networking sessions and yeah. all of that sort of business. You, you know how it feels to be that person. So, you know, it's that little pay it forward 
piece of, um, you know, doing doing a better job at those types of things, uh-huh. I think. And I, I mean, I love your, you know, your authenticity and your honesty in mm. terms of sharing that, that kind of story, because I think there can an awful lot of the time be this stereotype that to be a highly successful professional, one must be an extrovert and, mm. you know, a whiz at handing out business cards <laughs> or attending networking <laughs> events. And I think mm. the honesty to, to have a conversation about the fact that, you know, that is not what floats your boat. No, it's it a, it's a learned thing people. for me. Yeah. It's a bit of rote learning. The more yeah. often you do it, the easier it gets, sure. I think. Yeah. So someone said that that's my piano playing style. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well. I'm a, I'm a rote learner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, like you know, practice makes perfect, as mm. my mother would say to uh-huh. me all the time, yeah. and it and it truly does. Yes, because it just it does get easier each time. It doesn't mean that you're always going to be a hundred percent comfortable no. in those situations, no. but you will go. Oh, yeah, I've done this before. Mm. I can do yeah. this again, and, and so all forth. right, here we go again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Game face on. Off Absolutely, I go. and mm. I'm not going to pretend that grabbing a glass of champagne as you walk in isn't a good sort of yeah. warm provider I, either. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm with you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Natasha, what does Nirvana in your career look like? Nirvana in my career, it's actually a pretty tough question, I think. Um, I'll, look, I do think at least two more executive roles. Okay. I'd like to work, um, It's not to say that I don't do that now, but I'd really like to work with an organisation at some point in time that, I don't know, has a, a product, but it's not so much about the product, it's about their view on the world and their sort of more social aspect, a bit more of a social aspect mm-hmm. of whom they are. And when I say that, I mean about wellness and thinking about yeah. their employees and so forth. We certainly do all of that here at Accutech, mm-hmm. but I think um, it's it'd be good to go into an organisation where um, I perhaps haven't been at the start of that transition too for the organisation sure. where there's established mm-hmm. ways of working okay. and those types of things mm-hmm. because I had the privilege of creating a lot of that here. Sure. I'd like the challenge of going in and working within a team that has a lot of that stuff already and understanding okay. how they got to where they got to and, and so forth. I think um, I would love to work it back in an organisation at some point in my career where it has a real global footprint yes I think that's a really interesting thing I think the world has become a much smaller place Mm. uh, particularly in the last five to ten years Uh, you know distance means nothing I mean I was you know I'm on calls all the time with people who are in other countries and so forth and you know providing it's not some horrible uh, time frame um, you know you can be on a call with in Asia and there can be a two-hour difference in a lot of those countries that's brilliant yeah it's great Um, it's a little bit different if you're talking to New York or London but um, but still Mm. you've got a face on the other end of the screen now it's a global economy it's a global workplace a lot of organizations now I really like this take on organizations who um, there's a few out there now who their CEO is based in one country their CFO might be based in another and their CMO is in another Mm. again Mm -hmm. and that doesn't stop them from being successful no yes they might spend a bit of money on flights every now and then but even that they don't really do more travel than any Mm. other organization But they've actually realised it's okay not to all be in the same four walls. Yes. And I think that is a huge step forward in, t- in terms of how companies operate. Because it used to be, 
you had your head office mm -hmm. and if you weren't in that head office, you are unlikely to progress in your career. In that head office, at a desk where you can be cited by your manager. Correct. Yeah, Correct. And that's where that you were going to excel in your career because, yeah. you know, there was even that argument, you know, if, if head office was in either Sydney or Melbourne, if you're in the wrong office, you're yeah. not getting the exposure you need. Mm -hmm. And I think those wards, worlds and walls are being largely broken down now. And I think that is, yeah, not not all are granted, but, uh, <laughs> but I think that, and probably with younger companies who've realized that, mm. and I think particularly in the technology space. Yes. Um, I have a colleague of mine who's just started working with a company called OpenPay. It's a bit like an afterpay okay. and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, they have that very set up their executives are plotted in different countries. Okay. So, and that's how they operate. Sure. Um, and they've got a sizable workforce and, you know, so they use technology mm. uh, as the best way possible and yep. will, you know, um, visit different parts of the world as part of their remit. Sure. And I think it's if a company's in a position where they can have their team members travel to see different cultures and that immersion Absolutely. and so forth, yeah. Yeah. go for it. Sounds brilliant, you know, oh, and I'd like mm. to see more of those organisations mm. coming up. And, and we are seeing them. So I think to work in a company like that would be really interesting. Sure. Um, but it's really about also understanding that um, you want to leave a legacy of some sort. I think yes. most people do. Yes. Um, so I can't tell you what that legacy is yet. Um, still working on that okay. one. Um, but just to, if, if, if and when you do leave the corporate sector, that you leave it with, you know, um, I guess that that feeling of like I've set out to achieve something and I've achieved it or actually I may have pivoted somewhere else but where mm. I pivoted to was much more rewarding sure. at the end of the day yeah. and that you've contributed mm -hmm. in some way. I think that contribution thing is yes. massive. Yeah. Be that to people, um, you know, contributing to a P&L is a bit dull but we all have <laughs> to do that. Um, but it's about how did I change this place or how did I enhance it and, or how did I yeah. make it better? Some good topics we're talking about here, mm. Natasha. And to finish, although there are many other questions <laughs> I would like to ask you, if you could invite three guests, living or not, to dinner, who would they be? Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly who I said last time. Uh, it hasn't changed. I remember. <laughs> so talk us through it again uh, for the benefit of listeners. So somewhat surprisingly, not from technology or corporate sector, <gasps> all from the arts, uh, I was lucky enough when I was at university to take a bit of a side hustle class in film uh, and but have always loved the sort of I guess the era of the grand studios yes. MGM and RKO and, and those sorts of things for mm -hmm. those of you who don't know who RKO is it was a massive studio in the I think 20s 30s and 40s um, so and there is a particular group of women who came up through those studio systems who changed the way that female actors were yes. perceived. So one is Kate Hepburn, uh, Betty Davis and Jane Russell, I believe, was my third. And all for very different. They were all very sassy in their own way. And Kate Hepburn, just for being Kate Hepburn, I don't think she would have <laughs> taken rubbish from anyone. No. Um, and was very unorthodox in her time. So never married, uh, married when she was younger, but was lived in sin with Spencer Tracy for a very long time. Um, I think was the probably the first female actor to make pants de rigueur, mm, which indeed. was great. Um, and she was not a traditional beauty. She had this high-pitched North Atlantic uh, speaking yeah. voice, which I thought was brilliant, but apparently wasn't loved by, <laughs> by everyone. And then, of course, there's Bette Davis. What more you can say? Bette Davis, I mean, 
whatever happened to Baby Jane's got to be one of the best movies out there. And yeah. um, and Jane Russell obviously did a great movie with Marilyn Monroe, uh-huh. Jim Preferred Blondes. And I think it was Marilyn's first or second really big film. Yeah. And Jane was actually meant to be the headliner. Okay. But obviously Marilyn got a lot of attention for that film. But I just thought Jane Russell acts her off the screen in that uh, film. Yeah. But, you know, for whatever reason, the uh, physicality of Marilyn was hugely <laughs> popular. Um, but I thought Jane Russell was just, just one very sassy lady. Mm. So I just think that would be a hilarious table to be at. Um, and just to watch how they would interact with each other as much as the ability to interact with them. That would be a phenomenal table. And just just women in a different era to us. I mean, there, there's, you know, there's still discussion now about women who don't conform. But, yeah. but way back then, I mean, that was just Absolutely. incredibly much more, that's very good English, much more, <laughs> much more risque Absolutely. and um, confronting. I mean, they could have been, I guess, called very difficult women in their time. They could have been. Right? It's probably how they would have been yeah. associated. Yes. Um, and I'm like, well, hopefully they're very proud of the fact that we're still talking about them as difficult women. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree. Yeah. Natasha, thank you so much, particularly for a second time recording <laughs> with me. It was I, as good the second time as it was I, the first I time. I agree, mm. I, and I have enjoyed it just as much. And, <laughs> and listeners who get to hear this version, I am quite certain will agree. So thank thanks you. so much. That was really interesting and a lot of fun. No, thank you very much for having me, Katie. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And thanks for listening to the Katie Talks podcast with me, Katie Bennett-Stenton. If you enjoyed this episode, please review me on iTunes to help others find this fantastic content. I have some excellent thought leaders coming up in the series. Subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. And I love feedback from listeners. You can find me at Katie B Marketing on Twitter or Katie Bennett Stenton on LinkedIn.